This may come as a shock to some of you, but I wasn't always this suave, handsome, charismatic, intelligent man of God you see before you today. No, I used to be this guy. Can you put the next slide? I used to be uh, not so handsome, not so suave, not so intelligent boy of God who came from the rolling plains of Africa to the gleaming lights of the United Kingdom with the will and determination that was only surpassed by my desire to conquer this new land for the glory of God. At least that's the narrative that was running in my head, and that's how I imagined my autobiography would start. (laughs) But the reality is I came from a big city in Africa to a big city in England, and um, I had a desire to take the land for Jesus, or at least that's what I believed I had. But in reality... I came to a place where I had freedom. Last week, uh, Chris shared with us the idea of building an intentional community around us that we can be vulnerable with and with whom we can share both the mundane and the deep, the light and heavy things of life, the highs, the lows, the celebratory, the soul-destroying moments of life. He also shared how the only way we can truly be transformed by God is by being real being our most authentic, most honest, most raw selves. Being real with who we are and what we are feeling and experiencing. At one point in his talk, he read out a quote by John Tyson that inspired what I'm going to be sharing with you guys this afternoon. The quote was, God can't transform who you are pretending to be. I'm going to share part of my life story with you guys as part testimony and part example of how life-affirming and life-shaping being part of a community or a table can be. So, here we go. Um, The distant year of 2004 uh, is when I I landed here in this beautiful country, um, and I was greeted by a temperature I only imagined, (laughs) because, so I'm originally from Zimbabwe, Southern Africa, the coldest winter I ever experienced was a, a freezing, bone-chilling 12 degrees. And this was when I was still in secondary school, and I was in my school uniform. Underneath my school uniform, I had my full winter pajamas, and I had a, a jersey. I also had my blazer. I had a hat. I had gloves. And I was standing in the sun, shivering. So imagine my surprise when I landed, and it was five degrees. I was very confused. I, I, I saw the thermometer and I was like, there's numbers missing here. That's not a real number. This is what we see on the movies. Anyway, set foot here um, with all these like grand uh, ideas of what I was going to do when I got here. Um, my parents sent me here to get an education. I came here thinking that I was going to become this world-renowned R&B singer that unlike anything the world has ever seen, and I was going to be doing it for, in the name of Jesus, obviously. Like, I was going to write, you know, wholesome, fun songs that you can play in front of your parents and with kids, but they were going to be, like, really, like, I was going to be, the, like, Neo, or oh, I was about to mention someone whose name we shan't mention, but I was, going to, I was going to be famous for Jesus. That's what I convinced myself. And then, as time progressed, I came here to study what's known, what was known as a Microsoft Office Specialist Diploma. Ooh, yeah, right? Sounds fancy. Basically, just meant I was really proficient at Word and, and Excel. But um, 
I, I came to, uh, it was a study center called the Pittman Training Center. Does anyone, has this, anyone heard of it? That is the right response, because I didn't know what it was. But <laughs> at the time when I left Zimbabwe, there was a lot of political and economic upheaval. Like, my prospects for the future were almost non-existent. In fact, everyone in my age group, be they friends or family, left around that time. So, and we went all over the world. So people went to Canada, Australia. Uh, some people went to, uh, like, Serbia. I have friends who are in... Um, New Zealand, literally all over the world. In fact, I can count on one hand how many of my friends and family in my age bracket that are still in Zimbabwe right now, and I'll still have fingers left over. That's not exaggeration, that's not hyperbole. Everyone I knew my age left because we were told the Western world was the land of milk and honey. So imagine my surprise when I got here to realize that not only is that not true, but I also have to work for, what, <laughs> for whatever I wanted to achieve. And I was like, I left home to avoid that. Why am I here now working or supposedly working? Anyway, I started like the first few months at college. I was, you know, studious because this was something that was rammed down my throat as a kid. You need your education. You need your education. You need your education. Be good. Be good. Be good. You're a Christian. You're a Christian. You're a Christian. So I was there Monday to Friday. As soon as college opened, right up until college closed, just hunkered down, doing my work. And then one day, someone told me, you realize, like, you don't have to be in here every day. Like, you can live your life and just come in and make sure you do your work on time. That's all you have to do. And that person was actually one of the tutors at the college, not one of the students. So I'm like coming from a place where if you are caught outside of school, your entire year group would be punished in school and then your parents would be told and you'd be punished when you get home. Like to come here and have all this freedom was so confusing but exciting for me because it meant, okay, I can loosen the reins and actually start pursuing this dream that I had. But then with that freedom, came complacency because I went from going into school five days a week to two days a week to one day a week to one day every other week and so on and so forth. And at the time I was meant to be, I had, I had my first job as well. So I was now making my own money. I could literally do what I want with it. So what I was meant to be doing was putting money aside to pay off my termly fee, right? Um, as that progressed, I started getting more and more involved in just enjoying life. And it wasn't anything like particularly like sordid or crazy. Like I wasn't going on, on drug benders or I, I wasn't quite like the prodigal son, but I, I wasn't living the Christian life that I was convinced I was, or at the very least I was convincing other people I was living. So anyway, fast forward a couple of years, we get to about 2007, I get a, and I was living with my older sister and her husband at the time. And they were constantly on me. You need to save up. Make sure you're doing your work. So on and so forth. I get an angry phone call from my sister saying, why is the college calling me and telling me that you haven't been there for six months? And why are they telling me that you haven't paid off your, your uni fees? Now, part of, the, re part of uh, the conditions of my visa was that I was in school and paying off my uni fees. I was not doing that. So it got to a point where I was sat in this office with the, the head of the, the training college, my tutor, my brother-in-law, my older sister, and my nephew, who would have been about 
three or four months sat in his car seat. And I remember staring at him while I'm being essentially berated by four people that I actually respect. And just looking at him and thinking, I wish I was him right now. Because he's just napping. <laughs> like, he is completely oblivious to what's going on. But I also felt a bit of you know, guilt. I'm like, I love this kid so much and I want to be a good role model to him. What am I doing with my life? And you'd think that would have kicked me into gear. And probably for about three or four months it did. Like I, I knuckled down, started doing my work. But man, I love to nap. I love to sleep. And the idea of waking up at seven in the morning to catch a train from Leicester to get to Sutton Coldfield for 9 a.m., I just couldn't hack it. But I had gotten so into, I had gotten into this phase of, I got into the habit of not going to school and doing everything in my power not to go to school, that I would wake up at 7 a.m. and I would just go and hang out in town until something opened, and then I'd go and chill there. And it sounds dumb, because it was dumb, because the amount of effort it took me to wake up to go and pretend that I was going to uni, I could have been at uni and actually doing what I was sent here to do, right? So uh, needless to say, I, I did not qualify I also missed out on an opportunity to renew my visa to stay in the country. And uh, having overstayed my visa, a lot of my prospects were just cut in half. But nobody knew that. I didn't tell my family. I didn't tell the uni. I, <laughs> I actually went into the library and printed out a fake diploma to show my friends and my family just to cover my back. Yeah, stunned silence. That is the appropriate response to that. <laughs> um, so everybody thought everything was hunky-dory. I still had a job. It's like, okay, you finished that. What's your, what's your next goal? I'm like, oh, you know, I don't know. I'm still kind of feeling things out. Um, at this time, I was going to church. Um, uh, I had made some good friends at church as well. I was part of the worship team. I was, you know, in church leadership, all of that. But all of this was happening in the background, and nobody knew because I... I was ashamed and embarrassed of where I'd let my life go. But as long as no one found out what was happening, I could keep living my life, like, you know, guilt-free, still keep having fun. Except it wasn't guilt-free. Like, the, the guilt weighed on me all the time. Anytime I was on my own, it was just there. And so I started filling my life with other things to distract me. Like, I'd always go to the cinema or, you know, I don't know, just find something to fill that, that space. We're going to fast forward again to 2010. Uh, no, sorry, 2011. At this point, I lost my job because, believe it or not, I was also unreliable. And, um, yeah, things just came to a head. And it got to a point where I'm like, what am I doing with myself? Like, again, I'd get up in the morning. I'm like, oh, I'm off to work now. And I'd go and, like, just chill in the library and, you know, watch movies <laughs> on the library's internet. When my time ran out for that, I used to, do you guys remember HMV in the city center? Do you guys remember when HMV used to have a console, a games console? I think it was an Xbox in the center where you could go and you could just play. So I spent like three hours in the, in the public library and then I spent another like five or six hours just playing video games. Still not sorting my life out, but hiding. But I, I had people around me who were like, hey, how are you doing? I'm like, yeah, things are, things are great. Things are cool. 2011 rolls around. I don't have a job. I have no money. I just, I'm at my breaking point. So all I could do was 
tell people the truth. I, I got to a point where I'm like, I can't live like this anymore because I'm running out of lies and running out of ideas. Um, as you can imagine, didn't go down well. Um, my dad, <laughs> my dad being the African man that he is, he was like, my son, are you on drugs? Because to him, that's the only explanation as to how I let my life spiral out of control like this. My brother-in-law just kind of looked at me with the most disappointed look I, I can ever imagine on anybody's face. My sister was just like, I, I can't trust you. I can't trust a single word that comes out of your mouth. Uh, and at the time, I was engaged, not to Nolutando. Uh, and so when I told my fiance what was going on, obviously she wasn't happy. So I lost my fiance, I lost my family, and then I confessed what was going on in my life to my friends, and I lost a lot of really close friends who were rooting for me and who had my back. And so I'm there, this was in the morning, uh, it was around September, and I've, I've told everybody what's going on. Everybody, no one has time for me anymore. I go to church and I, I'm just, there was like a young adults meeting, uh, or just like a social. Uh, I meet this guy and we just get to chatting and at this point I've got nothing to hide. So I just tell him what's happening in my life and he's like, oh man, <clears throat> you're speaking to my heart because that's, I've just come out of a, a, a spiral that you were in, but my life is getting back on track. So, you know, don't worry, I'm going to pray, pray through this with you. We'll be friends. Do you need somewhere to stay? Like, I wasn't kicked out, but I couldn't face being with my family anymore. So I was like, yes, can I stay with you? And that night, I just, I cried the deepest cry I've ever cried in my life. Because it, it almost felt like I was in mourning. Because I lost everything that I thought mattered. Everything that, actually not thought mattered. Everything that actually mattered in my life. The good things in my life that worked were all gone. And it's not because of some national disaster or whatever. It's just, it was all my doing, which hurt even more. And I remember saying a prayer, Lord, I, I've tried my way. I just need to do your way. So your will be done. Whatever you want to do in my life, just make it happen. The following night is when I met Nolutando. That's a different story for another day. But um, <laughs> I remember thinking at the time, I don't know what life is going to look like from this point, but I felt so light because I'd gotten rid of all these lies, but even more so because Jesus was, he was now, we were back to being best friends. Like this whole time I was always, I always professed to be a Christian and I, I put up, I came across as a good Christian boy, but in reality I wasn't living the life behind closed doors. But now I was in a, uh, in a place where I could do that, where I could live. Anyway, we're going to fast forward again. Uh, things are on the up and up, uh, making some new friends, regaining some friends that I lost, regaining trust, becoming the person that um, I hope I am today and who I'm going to grow into later on in life. Did that sentence make any sense? Sure, let's, let's pretend that it did. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, going through all of this was still trying to figure out what am I going to do with my status in the country, how am I going to work, so on and so forth. And then, because I had some trusted friends around me and people that I could be open and vulnerable with, I had people praying alongside me and Nolutando while we tried to figure this out. 
and then I'm going to make this a very short story. Basically, I needed a, a, like an exorbitant amount of money to get lawyers and to apply for my visa. And there was no way we could save that kind of money. Uh, but w within the space of a week, I went from having like 3P in my account to having the exact amount and then some in my account just because I was open and vulnerable with people. Do you guys see where I'm going with this? Um, and that, that miracle happened. I got my status. I was able to work. There was freedom. There was, like, it just from that prayer and from that moment where I, I came to my senses and opened up to people, God just turned things around. When, when I look back at that point in my life, I, I always, I can't help but see the comparisons of my life's journey and the journey of the prodigal son. See, my an inheritance, which he asked for in Luke uh, 15 verse 12, my inheritance was a ticket to England. And I've already explained my, my reckless living from verse 13. Um, and then my moment of real where I came to myself in verse 17 was when I was crying that night on my friend's floor. I even had many brothers um, uh, or, uh, or God's other sons come up to me and remain angry and refuse to accept that I had changed and re refuse to see that my life was now going in the right direction. I experienced all of that. But I'm so grateful that my Heavenly Father is exactly how Jesus described him in this story. Because in spite of life's, life's ups and downs, I'm still partying and eating on the fattened calf, or whatever gross vegan version of that. I'm joking, vegan food isn't all gross. Um, <laughs> but you can't have a party on your own, can you? In verse 24, in the Amplified Version, it says, they began to revel and make merry, which indicated it was, to me anyway, that it wasn't just a party of the father and the son. There were other people there. And in fact, in verse 25, it goes on to say that the, his older brother could hear the music before he got to the house. So that's, you know, that's, that is a party. That is a, a large group of people celebrating together. My party is ongoing because... I have people around me who continue to remind me who I actually am. I have people around me who remind me that I'm no longer this guy who was a good Christian on the surface. I'm no longer a guy who had nowhere safe to be vulnerable and be honest in my life. I want you guys to hear me when I say this. Even if life sucks, and we all know that it can, having people around you that know you, the real you, and who are willing to go to bat for you, and that are willing to call you out when you need to be called out, that's a party. It's because it's a cause for celebration, even if it doesn't feel like it at the time. When I compare my, what my life was like then to what it is now, the, only, the biggest difference is being real at all times. Now, admittedly, I'm not real all the time. Like, I'm not, I'm not perfect. I'm not Jesus. But I've been able to surround myself with friends and family and people that I can call family at, that want me to be real and facilitate situations and spaces for me to be real with them. And I want to be that for other people as well. A deep, meaningful, personal relationship with Jesus is at the core and the center of a Christian's journey. We should strive to live our, love, our lives like he did. I'm sure we've all, uh, we've, we've all heard this at some point, that we should live 
If we are Christians, then we should live our lives Christ-like. When we look in the scripture, as much time as Jesus spent praying on his own, he spent with at least the 12 disciples around him. Jesus didn't need correction or someone to call him out if he had gone astray. And yet he still chose to live a life vulnerable and accountable and a life of being real with people around him in his inner circle. And that in turn made them want to be that for other people. When I look back at my life, I always think of how much shame and guilt I carried. Um, I was talking to Chris about this earlier, and he, he had this quote where he said, shame drives you underground, and that's literally how I felt, like it, just the weight of the world on my shoulders. Back then, I used to think of myself as the worst example of a Christian. It took being real with God being real with myself, and being real with my friends and family to see that actually I'm the best example of God's grace. I want to leave you guys with this challenge, and if the band could come up and join me. The challenge I want to leave for you guys this week is this. I want you guys to read the prodigal son story again. Like, really read it but put yourselves in the story and try to recognize which point of the journey you're on. Which part of the prodigal son's life are you living right now? But don't just look at that. Also look at what the next step in that story is. And then I want you guys to take that step. I want you to take that step knowing that a step closer to God is a step closer to being embraced by your heavenly father. And a step closer is a, is a step closer to an ongoing party with real friends and real family. If this has resonated with you, if this has stuck within you, if you guys, if there's anything you've taken from this, please feel free to tell somebody else about it. If you, if you want to ask any questions, any person you've seen standing up here is very approachable. Just come to them and ask questions. If you need prayer for a prodigal son situation that you're having in your life, can, you can congregate on the blue carpet. Is the blue carpet out there? Yeah, the blue carpet, just behind that row, that section. Oh, but if you need prayer for anything else, there will be a prayer team over there. I'm just going to close in a quick word of prayer. Lord, thank you that when you sent your son Jesus... You didn't just send him to be this unattainable, perfect being. Knowing that we would fall short, Lord, you sent him to be an example of how to live life. We thank you that whatever situation we have gone through or are currently going through, Jesus has felt that pain for us. And he's exemplified how to, how to move on in situations, how to grow as people, how to love one another, and how to be a good community, Lord. Father, if at this point any of us are not being open and vulnerable with the right people, I pray that you reveal that to us, Lord. I pray that you make it our intention to find people who are like-minded, Lord. Not because we want to hear them say the things that we say, Lord, but because they have a desire to get to know Jesus and to love one another. I pray that a seed is planted this week, Lord. And that we actively work on making that seed grow. 
In your name we pray. Amen.